Welcome to the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. This is the show that shares information and inspiration to help you break free from self-doubt, limiting beliefs, and disempowering patterns, and break through to create the thriving, successful business you dream of and deserve. I'm your host, Winnie Anderson. The show features interviews with entrepreneurs who've overcome amazing challenges to create success on their terms and experts who share insight and practical information to help you move forward with courage, confidence, and clarity so you, the introverted, mission-driven entrepreneur, can consistently reach your biggest goals. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll share the show with others and be sure to visit winnieanderson.com slash domino thinking to get the show notes and worksheet for this episode. One of the many reasons we start our businesses is to get the freedom we want to build a life and lifestyle that brings us joy. Yet building that foundation can be a challenge and we often come face to face with our own emotional crap. In this episode of the Courageous Entrepreneur Show, Allison Donahue talks about her journey and shares thoughts on the thinking that can hold female entrepreneurs back. A single mom at 20, Allison eventually went from collecting welfare to running a thriving house painting business. It took the 2008 recession for her to re recognize that she had some holes to fill in her business and business building knowledge. It led her to recognize how critical thinking is key to every situation and she realized how she had something other than painting to offer people and business owners. She recognized her ability to look at a situation differently and anticipate potential outcomes was the seed that became domino thinking. Allison is the author of the international best-selling book, Think Opposite, Using the Domino Effect to Change Your Business and Change the World. And today, Allison speaks to entrepreneurs, small business owners, and coaches about the power of critical thinking. She's also the host of Domino Thinking. The show is designed to get listeners to think about a different perspective, to suspend their beliefs, and consider the opposite viewpoint. Remember, my guests and I aren't giving you specific business advice. The information we're sharing is for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you need help, be sure to seek out a trained professional, whether it's a financial advisor, tax professional, business building support, or healthcare provider. Listen in as Allison shares the path she took from welfare to successful entrepreneur, what the crash of 2008 taught her, what she feels is her responsibility to do, and the steps she's taken to do it, the problem with comparing ourselves to others, what she believes is the foundation of every success, what's the domino effect, and why it's powerful personally and professionally for entrepreneurs. As always, listen all the way to the end where I'll share your cocktail exercise and action step for this episode. All right, Allison, I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. So <laughs> we're just going to dive right in. We're going to start off with just talking about your journey because, frankly, it's so fascinating. So, and, <laughs> and you've got this added twist of becoming successful in what I would think of as, you know, kind of a traditional business, but also sort of a male-dominated business too, right? So tell us how this happened to you. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely male dominated when I started, excuse me, <clears throat> sorry. Um, yeah, I, 
I was a single mom. I was on welfare um, and I was working dead end jobs. I couldn't make anything um, work. Uh, and so I thought, well, <clears throat> in order for me to get beyond these traditional minimum wage type jobs, I better go back to university or go to university. So I started in criminology and I uh, worked at a halfway house, but I worked three jobs. I went to school full time, single mom. Like I had no breathing room. <clears throat> and I met a guy and he said to me, he said, you know, I could teach you how to paint houses and you could make more money. You'd be able to see your kid. And I was just like, I don't even care what you want me to do at that point. Right. More money time with my kid. I'm down. So <clears throat> he taught me how to paint. I ended up moving in with him and he relapsed into drug addiction. The actually the weekend before I moved in and I had no way, nowhere else to go. And I had no concept of how ugly that world was. Like I had, worked at a federal halfway house. Like I'd heard lots of stories. I'd had rather misspent youth, but that was a whole other level of messy. And uh, then he died in 1999. And I thought, oh, damn, what am I going to do? I was back on welfare. And, and I thought, well, I'm just going to start my own company. How hard could it be? <laughs> so I started it. And, <clears throat> you know, it didn't take long to get off welfare because, well, you get no money on welfare. Um, and thank God it was there. Like I have... Right. I don't even know what would have happened to me if that sort of system wasn't in place. So I have massive gratitude for the fact that I was able to access something like that. And, and even more gratitude that I was able to get off of it. And so I uh, started, yeah, started my company. And then that uh, fall, I'd been doing really well. So I registered and I went back to university to finish my degree. And then I went to um, another university and got a certificate to teach English and then I went to Italy for six months and taught English all while running the business so uh, it's it was a hectic fantastic really cool journey that now my son and I are involved in so it's great awesome so you're still running that company I am and you had had talked about how you know 2008 I don't know anybody who had a great time yeah. <laughs> big financial crash right it's why <clears throat> ultimately my husband had to get a, a job and uh and relocated 500 miles away so we had to move 500 miles away from our friends and family we all do the things that we need to do right yeah. so but you talk about how you actually really began to learn about business at that point which is interesting because how long had you been running your business by then uh, eight, nine years. Okay. So, so yeah. can you talk a little bit about that? Why were you suddenly at the worst time possible forced to learn about the business end of, of things? What, what do you mean by that? Well, up until that point, the economy was just kept getting better and better and better. Uh -huh. And I was young and super naive. I was 30 when I started my business and, and I thought it was just me. I was that much of a rock star <laughs> that my business just kept getting better and better. And my head was in the sand. Like all I did was work yeah. and go to my kids' sports and work some more. And um, I didn't even realize I couldn't I didn't have to work seven days a week until I started dating a guy. And he said to me, like, look, if you don't take Sundays off, this is never going to work. Well, I took Sundays off. It didn't work. And <laughs> but I learned a little bit about balance through that. But so when the crash hit, I was like, oh, my God, I'm not doing anything different. How come I'm failing at this? Right. And then it was like, oh, my success had very little to do with 
me and more to do with the economy. And that was humbling. And then I thought, okay, if I want to make this last, I have to plug up all of these holes in my business. I have to restructure the foundation of it uh, if I'm going to survive. Yeah. And I was really fortunate because I don't carry debt. I try to carry as little as possible. <clears throat> so I didn't have the fleet of brand new trucks and I didn't have the expensive office space and all of that. So, you know, that and then the willingness to learn about business probably was that saving grace. Okay. So really about managing your money, managing expenses, recognizing that you have to have other people who help you. Yeah. You, you can't do it all. You can't run the business and do the doing at the same time, right? Yeah. yeah. And up at that point, I'd had 18 staff, right? So I, you know, it was, I was pretty good at delegating. Good. But I was also good at, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. Oh, keeping track of records. And it, I still had a really good system. I had still had a really great accountant, but I wasn't really understanding what my profit margin was or my return on investments or um, was what I was paying my staff actually viable in um, running my business. Can I pay them more? I actually ended up giving out raises during that recession because the staff that I had at that time were great and I didn't want to lose them. Um, yeah. As it turned out, I ended up going right down to a bare crew and lost a lot of them anyway. But, you know, it's that tightening the belt. It's seeing it's not taking the business for granted. Like I see my business as a gift. It was a gift that got me off welfare. It's a gift that allowed me to design and build my own home. It was a gift that's allowed me to travel. And so I, in a weird sort of way, I owe it better attention. Um, so that was what 2008 really brought about for me. Wow. That's really powerful. And, you know, I also think about the powerful impact that you're making on the community. I mean, when you have employees, and these were legitimate in employees, you're actually paying them a salary yeah. or a wage. It's not their contractors. When you make that kind of commitment to someone, that is a powerful relationship. And the money that you're then paying them ripples out into the community and, and magnifies that impact of just your business. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a tremendous responsibility <laughs> and, and a tremendous gift that you're giving other people throughout the way those dollars ripple out and expand. So, yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. and I think it's my responsibility as a business owner to improve the world. Like I wrote a book, um, you know, Think Opposite Using the Domino Effect to Change the Business, Change Your World, because I truly believe that as a small, medium business, we can turn our ship pretty quick. So if, if we to make it's much more difficult, I think, for Apple or Walmart or something to um, accommodate change quickly. But as a small, medium business, we can see a problem, we can fill that problem, and we can move on and leave things better. And I, am, and I think it is such an important responsibility and honor to um, be able to have that impact. I remember one time I was at a gas station, and I'd only been in business maybe like three years, and um, I'm at a gas station. I've got this crappy old van. It's like all rusted out and I'm pumping gas and I've got my bandana on. I got paint on me and, and I'm tired. It's the end of the day. And I'm like, 
just so worn out. And this beautiful woman pulls up in this like sporty car and she gets out and she's all decked out and her nails and her hair. And I'm just like feeling ugly and frumpy <laughs> next to her. And I'm totally doing this comparing insides to outsides. And I hadn't felt attractive in years because it's hard in a bandana and paint. And, and then, um, and I looked at her and I thought, you know, whatever you're up to, this is fantastic. And I thought, I employ people. I contribute to um, the world in a way that matters. Not that she wasn't, but it was this like coming to Christ moment where I was like, damn, I'm doing something really good here. And then she walked by and she said to me, she looked pointed at the side of my van and she said, hey, good job, go you. And I just thought, what a beautiful experience because women were not always like that with each other and so um it was a you know probably one of those moments in my business that was really pivotal to me pumping gas (laughs) yeah that's you know that's so powerful in so many ways so first is this issue of comparing Mm -hmm. you know i was just talking about that last week and i can really go off on it for quite a while i won't but you know (laughs) Comparing is one of the first things that we learn as children, mm-hmm. right? We learn hot, cold, we learn big, little, we learn over, under, all that kind of basic stuff as we learn language and we learn to navigate the world. And that issue of, of learning comparisons and learning that we're different from other people and that, you know, usually as a kid, it's something you can't do, right? That your sibling can or yeah. a playmate who's older can, even your, your parents, you know, they're, they're bigger and older than you and I, but you don't really understand why they can do things and you can't. And I think that lesson of comparison really scars us sometimes as we age and you know into teen teen years and beyond and it it can curse us as well as we look at other people and say like you were you were just saying with this woman oh she looks so beautiful on here I'm a schlub and, and but she's actually admiring you and cheering you on right so i think that that we can really let that issue of comparing ourselves to others hold us back and depress us almost yeah yeah well and i totally i think it's all ties into our worthiness so with my other business i talk a lot about worthiness and i think i when i was standing at that pump i wasn't feeling worthy and then i looked at somebody who in my head was more worthy and then i had to reflect back on that and go hang on a second i do have value here i do have worth and i fully believe that we are all miracles we are yeah i always say to people like this little tiny sperm finds this little tiny egg under really bizarre circumstances (laughs) (laughs) and made you they didn't make somebody else they made you which makes you a miracle and uh then we get into the world and through comparison and, and being told things, we start to think we're not worthy. And it takes a long time to get back to that. But I believe that that is the foundation of everything. I seriously was not able to look at her in a kind way until I had that revelation like, oh, I matter too. Yeah. And then once I had that, I could smile at her and say hi. But until I had that, I was just jealous. 
yeah, oh, that's so powerful too. And yeah, I mean, you can then be happy for her, for what she has, be joyful for her, celebrate your uniqueness, and it keeps you then in that mindset of there's enough for everyone and each of us carves out our own unique, I call it a slice of a slice, <laughs> our, our unique place. And yeah, I, I think that remembering how incredibly miraculous just the fact that we each exist right. really and truly is, is just one of those head slap moments when you're feeling mopey to just remember you're, you're, yeah, you're here for a reason and you're so incredibly amazing. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, let's, cool. let's talk a little bit about this it, other business that you have and <laughs> this, this concept of the domino effect. First of all, you, you're, you have an expert title, right? And you, you refer to yourself as a cause and effect strategist. So can yeah. you explain that a little bit? What do you do as a cause and effect strategist? Uh, I work with people understanding if we make this choice, what are the outcomes of it? Uh, I think we get so busy and so inside of our own forest that we can't see the trees. And so this helps with a different perspective of being able to say, these are our choices. This one will go here, this one will go here, this one will go there. But where do I actually go? And too often we're just in reaction mode um, because we're busy. Like it's not our fault. The world demands so much. Um, and, and of course we, we participate, we co-create, we allow that. Um, but we still, there's, there's always this up-leveling. There's more, you know, I, years ago I wrote this book called The Ingenuity Gap. And it's um, by Thomas Homer Dixon. And it was probably one of the only books I ended up fully reading at university. But um, <laughs> it was talking about even back then before email or anything that it used to be we'd have to walk down the street and knock on our neighbor's door. Right. And <clears throat> now, um, and through his, you know, he talked about we get faxes, we're on hold. While we're on hold, we have other calls coming through on our call waiting. Now we're getting emails. Um, he talked about pagers, I think, as well, because that was such a thing back then. And yeah. so there's all of this. Now we don't we have messages coming through Facebook, all of that. And so we're busy. So to take that time to contemplate, this decision here takes us there. We just don't have that time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And there's there's so many demands on our attention and on our time as we try to build whatever we're trying to build that yeah. it it can create this mixture of I had a boss who's called a gumbo of you know a, a, a I I can't miss out the fear of missing out right so you're constantly chasing the next piece of information and the next this and before you know it I could spend all day every day just doing nothing but read because <laughs> there's there's this constant influx of information and I think yeah. that it can be an easy way to hide and avoid looking at some of those tough things that you were talking about yeah. right looking at your numbers looking at that I'm not doing the things I need to do yeah. Well, and we just fall into an echo chamber at that point, right? Right. So everyone around me is doing a click funnel. I better do a click funnel, right? And maybe you should and maybe you shouldn't, but if you actually haven't considered your use of time on that, then you definitely shouldn't because we're just so quick to jump into these new things because it's, okay, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this in order for me to launch. And, you know, when you even, I had a client who was a hairdresser and she just couldn't get her feet under her 
but she's answering her own phone. She's booking her own appointments. Right. She's washing her own client's hair. So there's, and, and while she's washing the, their hair, the phone is ringing or somebody's walking in needing to buy something. And so she said, but I don't even have time to train somebody. So I have no choice but to do it all myself. And that's the reality in so many lives. We don't have the time to take the steps that's actually going to give us time. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It reminds me, and that's a perfect example. It reminds me of both the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, that classic Mm -hmm. business book. And I had done an interview with Mike Michalowicz, who is the author of the classic toilet paper entrepreneur pumpkin plan, profit first, so many great, great classics of business. And he said that you've got to get help. You've got to create systems that allow people to come in and, and take over these tasks that don't need to be done truly by you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it, 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 scary though. And I think that's what people don't talk about a lot is if I am going to farm out something to you, I have to trust you. And I don't know you because we just met and we had a 10 minute interview and I'm hoping I'm going to be able to trust you with my life. Um, And I know that sounds really dramatic, but when we raise a business, it becomes like my life is tied to my business, whether I travel or not, whether I, you know, buy another property or whatever it is that I do. um, The health of my business determines the freedom of my choices. And so we think sometimes it's just easy, like just get help. But it's, right. it's not that easy. It's, it's important and it's mandatory if you're going to grow. Um, but it's, it's hard and it's scary. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a former recruiter. Mm. So I really know how scary it is. And we used to talk about how we had a formula that we would use as a benchmark to follow statistics that we would, we would use as a, as a rule of thumb that we needed to interview an average of seven applicants for every single opening. Mm -hmm. And while that temptation is so powerful to just take somebody's pulse and get them, you know, throw them on the job and pray that they'll survive you just you can't do that and and hiring somebody is probably after i'm going to open a business the most important decision that you'll ever make because of the relationship yeah. and because they are now representing you mm-hmm. and they have such a powerful impact on the overall profitability of your business yeah they are well, the business to, to your they customers totally are they're representing right. your baby and um and i think there are, we don't think an awful lot about that role we need to fill. And so there are some situations where we want somebody maybe just like us in a role. Um, but in other situations, we want somebody who is nothing like us. Right. Like my assistant is nothing like me and it is fantastic. <laughs> but I've been making the mistake over the years to hire assistants I liked because my thinking was I am going to be with this person day in and day out I need to like them. I need to want to hang out with them. And, and I love, love, love my assistant, but I never would have um, um, suspected it would have been such an amazing connection that we have. Yeah. Um, 
because I didn't lead with, do I like her best first? I was, I led with, is she the best person for the job? Yeah, and wow, that is so powerful as well, because yes, you have to be able to tolerate them. I mean, if you can't put up with them, you're not going to be able yeah. to survive very long working with them. However, yeah, it, it, we almost need somebody who, well, we do need somebody who compliments us, right, who has those missing pieces that we need, mm -hmm. who has a, a, a personality yeah. that we can yeah. work with, but yeah, I'm not going to hang out with them. I'm not going to the movies with them. I'm not, they're not my, my best friend. That's somebody different. Yeah. And, and there has to be those boundaries to a degree as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, really important. Let's but talk if, I'm, if I have somebody that's like walking into my storefront and people are accustomed to getting me, then I want somebody a bit more right. like me, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of assessing what do I need and why do I need it? Yeah, and it's that the, there's a person for every role and finding that right fit, that's what recruitment is really all about, finding the right person for that right role. And you're going to be, they're going to be more joyful in doing the work because they're fitting, they fit right in, it leverages their gifts, they love it, they just, they do it, so nobody wakes up and thinks, I want to really suck today. <laughs> Who does that? Nobody, nobody does I that. Hope not. <laughs> nobody does that. When everybody wakes up and thinks, I want to give it my best, I really want to shine today. And we have to let them do that by letting them leverage their great gifts as well. Yeah, I can go on for days about that whole thing. So <laughs> let's, let's talk, though, about this domino effect. So yeah. can you explain what that is and why it's so powerful? Yeah, well, because everything we do has a, has a reaction. Yeah. Like, and we can't always predict what it is. And, you know, and I often have people say to me, oh, well, I won't get out of bed because I'll be so worried about stepping on a cockroach. Well, okay. And then that could lead to a nuclear war. I get it. Um, but uh, we do have to, whenever possible, I think, consider um, where our choices are leading us because we are co-creating this life. I'm creating this movement called My Part. And it's this important thing about stepping into understanding that you're co-creating things. And when you do that, you're accepting accountability for the choices you make. And when you set accountability for the choices that you make, you increase your worthiness and your relationship with your own self-worth. And so I think that domino effect is, is a huge player in how quickly we can get to our worthiness and move from victim state to freedom state. Because if we start thinking about where is this going to take me, um, then we're going to just get there faster. Yeah, I agree. And especially as an entrepreneur, I know there can be times when it can feel like, you know, everything you step on is a landmine. But really, yeah, you're, you are the agent that is what's in common with all of these things. And at some point, as uncomfortable as it can be, you have, we have to look in the mirror and go, all right, what am I doing that's creating this or supporting it or keeping it going? It's not what I want. How do I stop this? So do you have any, any tips that you can share with when you come to that realization? What helps you recognize that, okay, I really am co-creating this and I need to stop that and right. create something new? 
<laughs> well, I just look at those sticky spots in your life. Like, where is it that you're getting hung up? Where is it that you're feeling like a victim? Yeah. And those things like, this isn't fair. Why does this always happen to me? Um, how come they get all the breaks? When we start using that sort of language is a yeah. huge indicator that we are in victim state. When we're in victim state is probably not when we're making our best choices. Right. So I think that is that first signal that we are um, in heading towards something that's just going to blow up in our face again. The other thing is just 100% truly stepping in and accepting the fact that whatever's going on in your life, you co-created it. And when we have that, I find the more I understand that I co-create everything in my life, the more my worthiness boosts. By its very nature, I just make better choices because I'm holding myself in a higher regard because I now know I have worthiness. And so I won't fall below that line of maybe being catty because I want somebody to feel bad so that I can feel good. Um, I'm not going to uh, rely on somebody else's good nature to validate something I'm doing. And so I'm not going to do all of those destructive things yeah. that gets that response. Yeah. And so I think really the, the baseline is building that worthiness. And you do it by being aware and recognizing when you're falling into those victim statements. And the sooner you do that, then the sooner you get to move into this freedom state, which is a much better place to live. It is. And it, you're right. It is so much more empowering, I think, even when you're looking at something that you don't want. Uh, recognizing that you did contribute to this in some way and saying, All right, what the heck do I want? And what am I going to do to take action to get out of it and where I am now and get to that place where, where I am happier and where I have what I want? I just think that that's so much more freeing than being, feeling like a pawn, which I know, especially in corporate life, it could be so easy to feel like because there was a certain level of powerlessness that you could feel because things somehow seem so arbitrary right. in their decision-making. things up there impact you, and you have no idea when they're potentially coming. So it's a dancing on one leg type scenario as well. Right. Like people yeah. around me are getting let go. Am I going to get let go? And you feel powerless, and you feel like you have no say, no control. Yeah. But when we get to the place where we realize that's all external, and if yeah. we're centered and grounded and worthy, um, it's really hard. Like if we think of somebody that we admire um, because of their ability to stand in their space, we'll probably recognize that they have a really healthy relationship with their worthiness. Um, there are some people like your president that maybe doesn't have a sense of their worthiness on any sort of reality plane. Um, and they can, they can play it really well. Um, but I think when we, when we know we're around somebody who is truly connected with their worthiness and when we see how they yes. respond, they are probably the last person that's going to get fired <laughs> because they have value. They project their value. So you secure so many things in your life yeah. by um, stepping into that worthiness. Yeah, and I think that even if that person does get fired and we know bad stuff happens plenty mm -hmm. of times stupid companies do stupid things and they lose yeah. great people right yeah so but what but 
I, I think the difference has always been, because I've lost my job, companies get run badly and they get run right into the ground, right? And I've I been should laid. probably say, if you got fired, it doesn't mean you're not worthy. That's, that's not and, what I'm saying. Right, right. <laughs> and, and that's where I'm going. Because I think when you're able to say, well, that's their loss, and you're able to, and I'm not saying also don't shed a tear because there are times when I've loved my job so much and lost it that, yes, I boohooed. It was sad. I loved this job. I loved the company. Sometimes financial crap happens. But there was also this level of trusting that I knew I had valuable skills. Maybe I couldn't see or articulate them all in that moment of sadness. But I just had the belief that I was going to be able to create, find, stumble across, make happen something that was going to be as good or better mm-hmm. after that. And so I think for me, you know, I talk a lot about, um, about faith as being one of what I refer to as the eight, eight pillars of, of success. And faith, I think, is we lose sight of faith in ourselves sometimes. And trusting that we can do it, that, and it does come back to worthiness yeah. and that sense of self that we sometimes get damaged along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's be gentle, right? Like, it's okay yes. to feel sad about something. I mean, you know, and I don't suggest that we ever think that we should never feel like a victim because sometimes we do. And sometimes, like, Okay, so my house, there was a problem with the build of my house, and they fix it twice, and there's still a problem. Well, now the insurance company is saying too much time has passed. We're not going to fix it. It's like a $80,000 repair, and I'm just like, why is this? I thought I did everything I was supposed to do. The city inspector missed something, and... And I've I've reeled for a while in that it's not fair. This shouldn't happen to me space. But at some point, I had to climb out of that horrible bucket and go, it is happening. And I can either spin my wheels over here saying it's not my fault, or I can do something. Right. Because the problem's not going to go away on its own. So I can, you know, feel like crap going through it or, you know, let it get worse. Um, And so part of this is acknowledging, yeah, sometimes it's okay to feel bad. That doesn't mean we have to live there all the time. Right. And there are things that we can do to reclaim and, and end up in a better space. And it's important to point out that none of this assessment of how we co-created something should involve shame, blame, or guilt. Amen. It just is. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with things just being, which our society is not very good at. No. Right? <laughs> we have to be pointing fingers. We have to compare, like we were talking about earlier. Right. But sometimes it's okay to just be neutral when we look at something. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that what you've just articulated is this journey that we all go on to find that balance of controlling what we can control, Mm-hmm. recognizing what I have control over, me, my reactions, my thoughts, my actions. I can't control the government of all places. I'm lucky that I can vote and feel like I've made some kind of difference <laughs> there, right? So there's only a certain amount of of impact that then you have, but it, it's a lot, and it is a lot, and it's over yourself. And, uh, you know, I, I heard someone once say that in the movie of life, 
we play, we're the starring role in our own movie. But in others' lives, we're an extra, we're a co-star, we're a featured player. So those movies will intersect at times. And I think remembering that, you know, I did everything I could do. Yeah, I feel bad, I feel crappy. But am I going to stay in this place, as you said, or am I going to move forward with what else I can control and know that that city person, well, I can't control what he does or, or what yeah. he did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, really well said. So t let's talk about the kind of work that you do with the folks you work with. Mm -hmm. Share that with us. How exactly do you help them recognize this, this domino effect and then begin to, to make some changes in their own lives and work? Sure. So, um, well, I've just set up a quiz on my website to help people understand if they're residing more in a victim state or a freedom state. Awesome. And, um, you know, there's people who are really comfortable outside of freedom, into freedom state, um, and don't need anything from me, <laughs> which is fantastic. Great. Go forth and right. be free. Um, but then there's people who are so involved in victim state, they can't even see it. I work with that group that's sort of in the middle, the people who understand that they are residing in a victim state. They don't know how to get out of it. They have an inkling that they have somehow created it. They don't understand how they contributed, how they created it, but they know they really want to move out of that. Uh, it's no longer a comfortable place to live. And so I have created a My Part course and understanding how we can move from victim state to freedom state by reclaiming our worthiness. And um, I've just created a game around it, a card game. So I'm beta testing it this weekend. So that'll be available pretty soon. And so, yeah, it's working with people, speaking at events, talking about how do we move from this ugly space into the life that we really want. Like, how do we see it? How do we find it? How do we claim it? That's fantastic. So where can people go to learn more about all of that and connect with you and, and get the, take the quiz? Yeah, so my, my website is dominothinking.com, okay. and you can, um, there's a contact sheet there if anybody has any questions, or that's the easiest place. I'm on social media and everything too, but rather than give you a list of everywhere and I live, website is the easiest place to go. My radio show's on there, my book's on there, so yeah. Awesome, and we'll include links to all of that in the show notes as well, so including all the places that you can mm -hmm. connect with Allison. I encourage you to follow her and, and get her information because it's really outstanding. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's always interesting talking about my two business lives. I like it, so thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to Allison. I think she's a fascinating person and she's had great success. If you like this episode, please share it with your connections. Please leave a great review for it on the platform where you consumed it. You can become a fan of the show and access back episodes and resources by going to couragepodcastfan.com and signing up for the vault. It's free, of course, and includes back episodes from every season along with bonus content and resources all in one place. In addition to the episodes, you'll get information, tips, and resources to help you get clarity on your message and get the courage and confidence to get that message out in a more powerful way so you reach your business goals. All right, so your cocktail exercise, otherwise known as a reflection exercise. No alcohol needs to be involved. Don't overindulge and don't drink and drive. Your reflection exercise is to really think about the story you tell yourself about what you have and what you want. Do you rationalize why you don't dream bigger or go after the dreams you do have? 
do you tell yourself you don't really deserve the success you have? Maybe there's something you dream of doing, being, or having, but you tell yourself there's no sense in pursuing it. Those are all indicators you, have, you may have an issue with feeling worthy and your action step. I want you to look yourself in the mirror and share gratitude for some recent accomplishment or some recent gift. If you recently got money from a client, I want you to think about that. Look yourself in the eye in the mirror, call yourself by name, and tell yourself how grateful you are for what you received and how much you deserved to receive that thing because you worked hard, you did a good job, used your greatest skills, or whatever you want to assign that achievement to. But really own it and feel the gratitude for being able to achieve that because you deserved it. You're worth that and so much more. If you like this episode, please share it with others in your community. And remember, you can become a fan of the show and get access to The Vault, which has all the back episodes in both audio and video format, as well as bonus material. You can find that at couragepodcastfan.com. In addition to the episodes, you'll get information, tips, and resources to help you come out of hiding, get your message out in a more powerful way, and achieve your business goals so you can profit from your expertise. And if you're an introverted solo professional or someone with an introverted leanings and you'd like to hang out with an online community of like-minded and like-personality professionals, then head over to winnieanderson.com slash join the group and join my Courageous Success community on Facebook. It's for introverted, mission-driven entrepreneurs. It's where I share tips and strategies to help you achieve the success you dream of and deserve in alignment with your beliefs, values, and personality. Thanks for listening, and remember, you deserve all the success you dream of.